African Dialogue, looking at different events in depth, discussing a variety of issues. What we see here is a clear violation of one, the right to privacy of Tiwonge and uh, Stephen. The position of Greenpeace is that it's been a disappointing meeting. Well, thank you for joining us right here on Channel Africa, giving you the African perspective. Uh, remember, you're listening to us on DSTV on Channel 802 of the Audio Bouquet. And remember, we're on the frequency 9625 kilohertz on the 31-meter band to Southern Africa. Uh, well, today we're looking at uh, the issue that is huge on the African continent. Tomorrow is World AIDS Day. We know it's a big day where the conversation is actually meant to raise awareness and encourage the fight against the scourge of HIV AIDS in the world. UNAIDS together with uh, various stakeholders is uh, really very much involved in making sure that the message of access to life-saving antiretroviral therapy is uh, put out there uh, especially in countries such such as South Africa with uh, the largest AIDS epidemic in the world. In 2016 alone South Africa saw around 270,000 new infections and almost 110,000 AIDS-related deaths. And uh, look at the figures in uh, the region itself. Uh, uh, When you look at the region, uh, in 2016, an estimated 15,000 new infections occurred every week in sub-Saharan Africa. Uh, That are big, big numbers there. And it still seems like the fight against HIV-AIDS, it's something that we're taking lightly. I've got with me in our studio and Timbu Mpamba, who is with us in our studio. Um, on on record, he's said to be the longest person living with HIV in Africa, 34 years. Well done, Timbu. Uh, that is uh, very much a courageous life. The fact that you've lived so long, I feel like that's a, a feat in itself. Uh, and I'm not sure if I'm being stereotypical in saying that. But uh, Dr. Lungile Bengubaloi also joins us on the line, who's the chairperson of the board of the AIDS Foundation South Africa. Dr. Adrian Purin is also on the line, the acting executive director of the National Institute of Communicable Diseases. And Timbo, thank you for giving us your time and coming all the way into our studios. And to the listeners, I'm still alive and still going strong. Fantastic. Now let's look at uh, your years living with HIV AIDS. It's 34 years. I mean, we are the same age. So I know that you've probably been born with HIV AIDS. Tell us a little bit about your life how you discovered that you had HIV AIDS specifically. Uh, I want to know about your life in that particular period, being someone being born with HIV AIDS. At the age of 20, I think it was 23, yeah. when my mother passed away, I had to relocate from Mother Zambia. And I had to come to South Africa to stay with my my sisters mm. who were married. Sure. Now, getting to South Africa, I was invited by a special cough that would not go away. I tried private medication, herbal medicine. It didn't work out. Mm. So I was referred to a private GP who told me that it was TB. Ah. But I told him I've already had TB three times in my life and Mm. there's no way it can come back the fourth time. Mm. So him being a doctor, we started arguing until he won the argument. So x-rays were done and what he saw was the left patch 
in my left lung and the full right lung. Now, he didn't know what was that. He asked mm. me a question, what's going on? I said, isn't that my heart? They said, no, no, your heart is below the lung. What he saw was a quarter left lung left. What is that? It was eroded by a certain mm-hmm. virus. Okay. So he didn't understand why I was living on one and a quarter lungs. Wow. So I was referred wow. to Melpark Hospital, who were very excited mm. because they saw this as a guinea pig, you know, new, new innovation or discovery that they would name after themselves. When I got there, they told me about a word called biopsy. I said, nope, thank you. I walked out. Through prayer and fasting, my lung came back. I went back to the same doctor. Two x-rays were done mm. to prove that the impossible was made possible. Mm. A few months later, my right eye went blind to mm. shingles, part of the Happy's family. Mm. Totally blinded. He said, your eye is dead. Go to Santin. They'll take it out. I was taken to Santin. We had an argument with those guys that operate eyes. Say, I came here to discuss, not to take my eye out. Needles were put in my eyes for three to four months until the day I could see a needle pin of sunlight, not normal lighting. And he said, I'll never see again. But I took that as a challenge. Every day when I woke up, I would close the right, the left eye, which was good. And I would sweep my fingers until the day I saw my fingers. Well, that's an interesting story. And tell us a little bit about your life, how it's been since you've discovered that you have HIV AIDS. I mean, 34 years, and especially the fact that you didn't know before your uh, 20s, it's remarkable the fact that after you found out, it must have just been a big challenge. I know that you've overcome so much, but your initial feeling and your initial understanding of yourself the moment that you found out that you have HIV AIDS, did those taboos come to you? Did you think, I'm just about to die? Or a lot of people think, hey, look, my life is over. What are people going to think of me? There's so many things that are attached to someone who has HIV AIDS. Did you assimilate them them with your own life? The time I was taken for an HIV test, which was in 2004, after my lung and my eye healed, Hmm. I was forced to take an HIV test. Now, getting the result, which was HIV positive, it didn't bother me. Why? Because I had cleaned out 88% of other diseases. My whole life was in and out of hospital. So diseases came a part and parcel of my life. Three quarters of my life was in hospital. I could smell medication and tell you what it is. The same way a woman smells spices. So me being told I'm HIV positive, I just said it will come, it will get tired, it will give up. Now, when you're told about the actual figures of the CD4 count versus the viral load, Mm. that's where everything went sour. Mm. Because I was told my CD4 count was 36. And I said, it's just a figure. Mm. And they said my viral load was in the millions. Like, come on, I'm a mathematician. That's good. But when I was compared to an average person, that's when the reality sunk in. Say, Mm. even if I multiply 36 by 20, I was still not get to the minimum, which is 800 of a healthy person. Mm. So when he was busy talking about adherence, my ears were blocked because I saw myself say, where am I going from here? All right. I, I want to look at your life in terms of also how people responded around you when you informed them that you now have HIV AIDS. I know you've been a long, a sickly person for a long life, for a long time, as, as you've described. Yeah. But uh, was there a change with some people in the way that they received you and understood you or maybe the way they viewed you as a human being? Uh, I'll start with the family. Family always saw me as a very spoiled child. 
mm. which was something that they disregarded because I would do something wrong and I would get to choose who would get the punishment. So they didn't appreciate that. <laughs> you were a lucky kid? No, 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 not lucky. I was actually the, I can do what I want. Okay. Where the school would not punish me, they would not give me punishment. Everything was clean. Mm. As in my mother made sure that if my son gets injured, not only are you going to be dealing with him, but you're going to deal with me and the rest. So there was that caution to say, this is my son. Mm. But at the end of the day, when I lost my mom, everything had to change. Say it's survival of the fittest. Because mm. when she died, I started drinking, clubbing. You know, I lost all hope to say, let me go and join her. Mm. Until an uncle told me, say, there's more to life than mm. you regretting. So from that day, it started building up to say, if this thing did not kill me, and every time my mother told me, say, if something can, does not have a voice, mm. it can never defeat you. And Timbio, what were other people saying, though? They, were, they, they saw me as a sickly. Mm. You know, it was always, say, this guy can talk so much, but he's defenseless. Mm. But today, they look up to me to say, you know what, no matter how many times we put you down, you taught us how to grow. Mm. Well, I'm going to take a quick break. We'll come back to our other guests on the line. As you've been hearing, we've been having a conversation with Timbuem Pamba, who is a person living with HIV. It is said to be that he's the longest person living with HIV on the continent. I'm not sure if that is true and accurate. We'll find out from him. But also on the line, we've got Dr. Adrian Purin, Acting Executive Director of the National Institute of Communicable Diseases, Dr. Lungile Bengubaloi, who's the chairperson of the board of the AIDS Foundation. Foundation South Africa. Let's take a quick one and then we'll bring it to you, Dr. Baloi and Dr. Purin. Channel Africa has good news for you. We have extended our reach. If you have an iPad or iPhone, download the Channel Africa iOS app at itunes.apple.com. If you have a cell phone, then get our Android app at Google Store. Get the latest news from Africa. Get the Channel Africa app. Channel Africa, bringing you the African perspective. It's 18 minutes past 11 o'clock Central African time. You're still listening to African Dialogue. We come to you every Monday to Thursday, bringing you the big conversations on the African continent. And today, because tomorrow is uh, World AIDS Day, we're using Thursday, since we don't have a program tomorrow, to look at the issue of uh, AIDS in itself as a as struggle for some people. And also, how do you live with it? Or, or also, how do you prevent it? Uh, I want to come to Dr. Lungi Lebaloi in terms of of the statistics that we are seeing, not only from a South African perspective, but from a sub-Saharan Africa perspective, 19.4 million people are living with the virus. In 2016 only, an estimated 15,000 new infections occurred every week in the region. These statistics are huge, Dr. Baloi, and uh, they show us that uh, really the region is struggling with uh, uh, dealing with HIV-AIDS, and the message seems to be stopping somewhere. It's not really getting across uh, to the ground, and even if it is, is there something that we're getting wrong, Dr. Baloy? <clears throat> um, thank you very much, Benjamin. Um, and I just want to congratulate you and the uh, and the gentleman and the um, person who just spoken there. Sure. And uh, it's an encouragement to to all of us, you know, that and, and teaching us that about the power of the human spirit um, and the fact that when you committed to doing it, 
um, it can happen. Um, yeah, just I uh, want to talk about AIDS Foundation briefly. It's a development organization that exists to support local, national, and regional efforts to reduce the, the new HIV, FAI, and TB infections. And what's interesting about our program and our strategy is the fact that we also look at the social and structural drivers of HIV, and, and we seek to remove all the barriers and uh, to living a healthy life. And we also strengthen and build resilient to communities. Um, the, the issue for me is about the context. I mean, you'd mm. be talking first of all about African perspective, and I'm very comfortable with that because with that comes the culture, the way of life, the values, and most of it we've lost Ubuntu. But also talking about the, 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 the extent of the spread in Africa. And if you talk about Africa, there are other very critical contextual issues of, of the social nature. Um, there's poverty, there, there's a lot of unemployment, mm. there's a lot of inequality, mm. and, and, and so many other things that create a, 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 a safe space or a conducive space for HIV to spread and for us to, 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 to look like we're not winning the, the, the fight against HIV and AIDS. And, and so it's very important for us not to miss the context, and which is poverty, because poverty is one of the drivers, unemployment, and many other social ills. Mm. Um, I think I'll stop there for now. And HIV and AIDS Foundation strengthens those very aspects to make, to, to make sure that our structures, our strategies are sustainable and can make a difference. Um, Dr. Puren, I want to come to you in terms of what Dr. Baloy is saying. Would you agree with her that the main drivers in sub-Saharan Africa could be the issue of uh, inequalities and uh, the issue of poverty that's really exacerbating the situation that we're seeing in the region? Yes, thank you very much for the opportunity to be on your, your show. Um, I think that the HIV epidemic is a, is a very complex epidemic. Indeed. And I think what Dr. Beloy has, has outlined, I think, is a really a key contributor um, to what we are currently um, seeing, not only here in South Africa, but many other parts of, of South Africa, and can be apply, applicable to not only just HIV/AIDS, but also you know other um, infectious diseases and possibly in the future non-communicable diseases as, as well. So I think we need to have a, a very broad perspective as to how we uh, address the, the epidemic, um, let's say, in, in, in South Africa. Um, but I would like to point out that, yes, the, the picture does not look good in the sense that we still have high prevalence rates um, overall in South Africa. Um, we, and in particular, when we look at what we call the new infections, for example, in South Africa, those are really what we would say unacceptably high um, you know, if you have two, as you mentioned, 270,000 um, new infections in South Africa in, in 2016, that um, translates almost to 2,000 new infections, and in particular mm. in young girls and young women. So, yes, the, the, the structural determinants, the social determinants really play a, a very important role. Why is it that these young girls and young women are becoming infected, and how do we empower them, how do we change 
through the programs that that AIDS Foundation um, strives to achieve, to really try and re reduce the, the, the new infection rates. I must say, though, Benjamin, that if you look over time from, say, 2005, and, and I'm sure you've seen those figures as well, mm -hmm. when you look at 2005 and 2016, certainly the antiretroviral program has certainly contributed, I, I think, um, tremendously sure, with regard definitely. to, you know, um, putting people on treatment and therapy and therefore mitigating um, some of the mortality and mobility. So we're certainly seeing an, an increase in lifespans and longevity of life and reducing, you know, the burdens of co-infections such as TB and, and cryptococcus meningitis. So, I mean, the figure, I think, for, for 20, uh, 2005 was a half a million, 500,000 new infections in 2005. In contrast, when you look at 2016, that's 270,000. So yes, we are going in the right direction, but as Dr. Beloy has already mentioned, that there are many various challenges that we still need to face and, and address in order to really have a more effective response um, uh, to, to, the, to the epidemic. You know, you highlighted something very um, worrying, uh, Dr. Purin, and I want to take it to uh, Dr. Baloy before I come to you in Timbwe, is uh, the issue of uh, the young women who are significantly uh, have a higher infection rates, uh, even more than young men. Why are we seeing that dynamic currently, especially uh, the infection of, of young girls? That's where the big concern has been in the last two years. Um, Dr. Baloi, are you there? I think we've lost Dr. Baloi there. But uh, are you here, Dr. Baloi? Can you hear me? I was just asking yeah. you about the issue of uh, why we're seeing a trend of young women having more uh, infection rates uh, than men, especially in the last year and a half. I've been following the story for a long time. As journalists, we have to. But there seems to have been an emphasis in the last two years on uh, uh, the infection rates of, of young girls. There are quite a few um, ways in which one can interpret this. And first of all, I think the issue is where do we see these young women? Um, you'll find that most of the time we, start, we see them in hospitals, either because they're pregnant or not, um, but also because they are very uh, receptive, I mean, they're very active in, in taking, part, taking care of their health status rather than young boys. Uh, and I think that's a problem for me because women then tend to be, but who makes these women pregnant? Who, who, who makes these people uh, get AIDS, I mean, especially young girls, especially those that fall pregnant? It, it, most of the time it's young men, but they, for some reason, they don't come forth. So that's just my other interpretation of it may not be scientific. But the other thing is that, honestly, unless the issue of behavior, which is what HIV, foundation look into because our strategy looks at behavioral issues which is a very huge thing and then as well as my biomedical and social components mm. let me just talk about behavior you know we're working with the young people in our network which we call humanities the african midwife mm. and and the the, the the kind of under you know decision making it's a huge thing to a young girl who's not who has not been you know empowered emotionally and spiritually um, and, and socially even, to know who they are so that they're able to, to resist the, you know, the social advancements and so forth. Mm -hmm. But also the issue of poverty. 
exposes these young girls to a lot of um, actions or risk behaviors that make them vulnerable. Mm-hmm. And one other thing that really bothers me, and you find that most of these kids are affected, obviously, or are communities where there is poverty, unemployment, like I said. And most in most of these families, the, the parents are not available. They're not there. Mothers in rural areas in particular, mm-hmm. which is the area where I work most, for more than 20 years, mm-hmm. mothers are not available. Mm-hmm. They have to fight because there are no job opportunities in rural areas. You find young kids, 14-year-olds, who've never seen their mothers since they were eight years they had to take care of themselves because mom said to go and look for work in town. And fathers, if they're not there, the question is, where are they? Mm. So until we look at those issues, we, in, we are not going to, to, um, to, to, to win this battle. And I think as an African and a mother, a mother myself, the issues of just how culturally, how our kids were mentored, that has been lost. Mm. And I deal a lot with women, parents, and everyone, and stay the rest, stakeholders. We've lost that. Mm. That space whereby a child is nurtured, is supported, mm. feels loved, and feels honored, that is lost. And mm. I think we've allowed government to come into our spaces, you know, in families and everything, to dictate how things could be done. The last one is that we tend to focus in our strategies, focus on the things that rely on the five senses, you know, on the external, we can give medication, give condoms and everything. Those things are important. But we need to also build the inner person. As, as I listened to your first um, guest, I found a lot of inner strength mm. and inner, re- I mean, resilience. Mm. And, and issues of spirituality for me, therefore, come in. But we can talk about that some other time. Well, let me come to Ntimbwe as you highlight that you've been agreeing with the points that both uh, Dr. Purin and Dr. Baloi has been highlighting, especially highlighting the fact that uh, the drivers to conquer are poverty and unemployment. Yeah. Do you want to elaborate on that? Uh, um, my doctor? Hello, are you there? Yeah, in, in my in my life, I've decided to offload the five pillars of the hand. Number one is nutrition. You can grow your own garden. Number two is the mindset. You've got to change the way you think in society. Three is exercise. You don't need to go to the gym. You can take a walk. You can jog. You can stretch yourself. Medication is a must. And the most favorite is support. And, and in terms of that, how do you deal with the challenges of your social economic conditions sometimes? Because sometimes that can be challenging. How do you curb those issues? Um, because sometimes that's where we, it's difficult for us to actually climb that mountain. That's where the support comes in. Okay. P- people are too, you know, there's the, the DDS syndrome. What's which that? It's the disclosure denial stigma. Okay. That is so bad that you would rather say, I'd rather die on my own than tell my neighbor to say, I do not have, can you assist? Mm. Your neighbor is always there. Mm. But it's always that thing, say, I'm fine. I'd rather die alone. Mm. That's why it's called the DDS syndrome. Mm. Disclosure, denial, stigma. Mm. When you have the courage to conquer that, you see the value of taking ARVs, Mm. which you create the A, adapting to being a normal member of society.
Let me take a quick one. It's 11.31 Central African time. Uh, today we're looking, it's almost a personal conversation that we're having here. How do we as communities, I didn't know that conversation would go into this direction. How do we as people uh, actually confront the issue of HIV AIDS, not only from a, uh, an external perspective, but owning it as individuals, as families, as was highlighted by uh, Dr. Baloi. But we'll keep the conversation going after this break. Let's take a breather. Good news for listeners in America. You can now listen to Channel Africa by phoning 605-47-1711. So, if you're a Channel Africa listener in America, simply dial 605-47-1711. Channel Africa, giving you the African perspective. Well, tomorrow is World AIDS Day. That's the program that we're looking at today. It's a big day for the world and the international community to see what more we can do to hasten and really uh, fast track the uh, the fight against HIV AIDS. And I want to come to you, Dr. Adrian Purin. If you're just joining us, let me reintroduce some of the guests. Uh, Dr. Purin is the acting executive director of the National Institute of Communicable Diseases. We also have Dr. Lungile Bengubaloi, chairperson of the board of the AIDS Foundation South Africa. Tim Bamba is with us. He's a person living with HIV for almost 34 years. Dr. Piran, I want to come back to those issues, especially focusing on that other issue that I was talking about around that statistic where we're seeing the uh, the higher infection rates of, of young women. What's happening in that context and how do we actually change that particular trend? I know Dr. Lungi Lebalo is talking about a lot of social issues that we need to deal with from a communal perspective. Yes, I think that Dr. Bolloy highlights the, the point that there's been a, a large focus on the sort of biomedical interventions and perhaps mm-hmm. some of the sort of structural or um, uh, structural issues as well. So my sense is that in part that some of that will have to continue. In other words, we really have to um, ensure that we are able to identify these young women uh, to be able to provide them with um, the, the the diagnosis and, and the treatment. And I think those are really critical matters. I think also the, the idea of other biomedical interventions, um, and this affects young women in the sense that if we are able to um, increase the, the male circumcision rates and, and so forth. So those are really what I would call the sort of biomedical in, interventions. But I, I agree with Dr. Beloya and, and your your colleague, uh, your, your, your speaker in, in, this, in the studio is that we really have to really change our, our mindset. In other words, we, and as your, 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 your guest in the studio has, has highlighted for me, which came out of our panel discussion last night, um, we had Dr. Jürgen Pillay, who, as you know, is the the DDG here in, mm. in South Africa who directs policy. And he also said, you know, he's struggling um, to, to understand how we've reached this point that with all the investments that we've made, and, and in fact, we've, we've made, you know, billions of funds available to in terms of our biomedical interventions, but we've not been able to really change that mindset. And, and that becomes very difficult. And it may be very difficult for young girls and young women in a setting where, um, you know, men are dominant. Men direct the culture. 
um, and to be able to, for those young women to really not just feel vic- victims and helpless, but actually to change that whole um, setting where women feel that they can make those decisions and know that they have the rights to make those decisions about how they will live their life, how they will control their, their sexuality and their, 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 their sexual health. And I, I think that that probably, and Dr. Belou may well, and your, your guest may well comment on that, is that possibly that's where we have to, to head for, is that whole societal change. And although those biomedical interventions, and in fact, as you know, where there's a lot of great deal of vaccine research, and I think you're going to be talking to Caroline Timerson around cure, those are all contributors, but it's really a societal change taking back um, and empowering those young women and young girls. Well, we had to leave uh, Professor Timerson out of the conversation. This is so many people on, on, on the panel, <laughs> and I, I wasn't going to be able to deal yes, with no, all of you in, in, in topic, one go. Yes. Yes. yes, but let me come to you, Dr. Uh, Baloi, in terms of uh, transforming the culture. Do you think there are some things that we need to also incorporate in our schools and educational programs? about sex education and also the focus of HIV AIDS itself? Yeah, yeah. thank you very much for that. Um, fortunately, we are already on my, just wearing another cap. And I would like to talk to you offline about the program that we're involved in. Mm. Because unless we have the foundation right, I'm going to use right, I know it's quite, you know, it's, Unless we have the foundation, you know, correct, let me put that way for now, um, there's no way we're going to win this battle. That's number mm-hmm. one. And um, your honorable guest um, mentioned the fact that, you know, acceptance and, 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 and love, that will go a long way um, in enabling the young people, young girls, to speak out about their challenges and anything when they are affected to, 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 to say it. But the communities that we have, there's a lot of animosity, there's a lot of judgment, there's a lot of discrimination. I mean, even outside HIV and AIDS, you know, generally speaking, we've lost what we call Ubuntu, um, which is looking at loving another human being, um, treating them with dignity. Because if we have that culture, even young boys will treat these young girls. But it's not only gay boys, by the way. Even elderly people we now know that they're involved in, in, in abusing these young girls. But if we have the foundation right and we have our culture in place, which is what our program outside each other, I mean, each foundation is working on, we're going to solve the problem one way. The other mm-hmm. thing is, so when we get a community where people are loved, are ex- accepted for who they are, and are encouraged, are supported, are affirmed, that's going to help. And the second one, as a nutritionist, I'm very excited that your honorable guest mentioned that. That nutrition, unless we have the food in the right available, mm-hmm. we're, going to, we're not going to win this. And, and food is a critical role. And I know food security and nutrition are some of the killers and the main causes of problems. Because mm-hmm. if you're well fed, well, that's what I learned in school, unless the, the lecturer um, taught me something wrong that I need to go and get my school fees. But what we learned is that if you're healthy and well nourished, mm-hmm. you can live longer. And, but if you're not, you like, you know, a person in a state which is unprotected and the days where anyone can come in and do what they do. So nutrition and food security for me are critical issues in this country. Again, we have, we're very fast on medication. I'm not saying that's not important. Mm. But prevention, by getting, making sure that people have 
right food, balanced meals, and, and in schools, I know we have a school feeding scheme, but in terms of balance and quality, that's another issue. Mm. So that's another thing. I want to come back to you in Timbu in terms of this big issue of uh, behavioral changes. Uh, Do you think that communities can actually deal with that? Do you think they can actually change their behavior? Because the way we're going with the infection rates, it seems like behavior is not changing. And it still seems like, I don't know if we've started even normalizing uh, HIV AIDS in even our communities in our everyday lives. The, The best way to change behavior change is to you know to go back to the roots, okay. yeah. Because every 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 problem always has a root cause, mm. and most people want to sort out the problem at its core, like you know at the 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 apex or the high from high the spot. technical yeah, perspectives. Yeah. Okay. But you should go back and find out where did it all start, and the best way that I've found to do things is via the ask system that I use mm. as myself, which is ASK. Ask is a request, it's a want, it's a need. But when you expand it, A is your attitude. If you can have a positive attitude or a negative attitude, which you create the skill that you possess, whether it's negative or positive, mm. which you produce the knowledge that no one else can take away from you. But how do we change behavior? That's my big you question. Have to, you have to get those people who have changed to be the, the, the ones who tell the story. Okay. Because most of the time, we always want to read the script. Mm. But let's find people who are found on the script to tell their story. See, this is my situation. Okay. We have to go to the communities, not just to sample, but we have to ask them what is going on mm. firsthand. Yep. Mm. Yeah. Um, Dr. Baloya, I hear you passionate about that point. Yeah, I'm very. And, and we've seen a lot of challenge, a lot of improvement. I think behavior, if you look at, talk to young people and ask them, how did you get here? They will tell you that one, and you see it yourself, that hopelessness creeps in. And we've seen them even improve in their academic performance, in, in, in everything, many other aspects of their lives, when there's support and there's love, there's, there's hope and something to live for. I mean, some, for instance, so I found that that is one thing. So what, the way we do it, it's always very difficult to describe it, but we use, um, I use an approach which, which would be just helping people make, rather than accusing them, because I believe even the issue of teenage pregnancy, we make a mistake and, and criticize our kids and make them feel they are bad. It's not about that. It's about the quality of decisions that people make. Mm. I mean, even us adults, if you look, read newspapers, you can tell that the, the way we make decisions is, mm. is, is a weakness. So what we do with motivation and, and, and hope and enabling them to see where they are going, you know, things change and they start realizing how important it is for me to look after myself. So what I always say to them, even if you, get, get, you are an A-grade person, mm. you need your body as a vehicle to take you there. So you're linking behavior as well as the things that they love the most, and that is to, uh, to be well accomplished in education and professionally to the best thing or to be whatever, and to make them understand that you need your body and your health for you to get there. Mm. So, so what I'm saying is motivation and inspiration is very important, but also spirituality, I find that to be the key because it enables you to, 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 to focus on the inner person rather than the outside thing.
Mm. And when we, we call it 99%, you are 99% a person. So even a young one now says, she tell you, 99% is me, the inner person you can't mm. So with education and, and, and neuroscience of compassion of all these values and reminding them, inspiring them and helping them see the vision where they are going, it's amazing how things have changed. Well, let me make them feel they are worthy. Sure. Let me let me wrap up the conversation with you, Doctor Pure. Honestly, I didn't know that our conversation will be so almost uh, uh, very much have a motivational take or almost a, a, f- a philosophical um, kind of turn to it. But it seems like there are a lot of societal and issues of that are happening on the ground that we really don't uh, still don't have our f- hands on. Uh, Dr. Purin, in terms of behavioral changes, that's where we're struggling. Yes, probably it's exacerbated by the issues of the the drivers that we are talking about, which were uh, poverty and unemployment. But how do we actually turn things around? Because this is the time to turn things around. We were doing so well some two years ago, as you were suggesting, but it seems like we're actually losing the fight again, once again, with uh, our behaviors on the ground. Dr. Purin? Well, I wouldn't say that we're losing. Mm. I think that we're, we're moving in the right direction okay. because we can see that the biomedical um, approaches have certainly contributed to declines in, in new infections okay. and so forth. So my sense is we, we should not say that we're losing, but okay. I think that we still have huge challenges ahead and understanding how to make that societal change, as your, your two guests have, have so poignantly highlighted, is really complex and very difficult. Mm. And, you know, it, it may really take us a, a while to achieve the objective of really eradicating HIV and AIDS, you know, unless we really have those societal changes um, that, that are so critical. But what they are, how we test them to provide that mm-hmm. evidence, I think will we'll certainly take take some time, but I, I think from what Dr. Beloya and, and your guest have, have highlighted is there are certain potential avenues of trying to change that at, at the root, in other words, you know, starting with the adults, starting mm-hmm. with the children, to really take responsibility. And I think that's what I think we need to start with, is that we can't simply sit back and hope that the Department of Health will provide us with the drugs, mm-hmm. will provide us with the services, yeah. that we yeah. actually, as, as individuals, need to say, this is our problem. Mm. We need to manage this problem together mm. rather than sitting yeah. back and hoping that someone somewhere will take a decision for us. Thank you so much to Dr. Adrian Purin. Uh, the conversation has changed, hasn't it, from the big time we were speaking about ARVs, ARVs, and as they're very much important as well to a point where we're talking about now behavioral cha- changes in our society. But I want to thank our guests for giving us their insights. Very much, uh, very much down-to-earth conversation we're having today on how to deal with HIV AIDS on a daily basis. Thank you to Timbu Mpamba, who joined us in the studio, a person living with HIV. But he's more than that. I think he's uh, actually an ambassador for for a lot of people we can give a lot of hope to. Uh, thank you as well to uh, Dr. Lungi Lebenguma Baloi, who's the chairperson of the board of the AIDS Foundation South Africa. Uh, I didn't mention that Dr. Purin is the acting executive director of the National Institute of Communicable D- Diseases. Thank you all for giving us your time. Well, until next time, from me, Benjamin Mushatama, God bless.